This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, whether it's buying, selling, renting, being a landlord, and just generally what's happening with the market, projects around our region, and also if we have time, a little bit of national, or quite a lot of national news actually, and a little bit of international. So let's see how we go today. Lovely having your company. We're just going to start off with a bit of an update uh, that was in stuff.co.nz. And this talks about wheels set to turn on massive Palmerston North transport plan. So the plan to make Palmerston North a safer place to cycle by building new roads for heavy transport is a step closer to reality after a massive funding injection. Transport Minister Michael Wood announced on Tuesday $24.3 billion would be spent on transport in the next three years as part of Waka Kotahi NZ Transport Agency's National Land Transport Programme. Of that, $1.3 billion has been earmarked for projects in the Manawatu and surrounding areas. There are some projects already underway, of course, and this relates to housing because it brings a lot of people into the area to work on these projects. So that's fundamentally why we're having a, a little bit of an update. It does have an effect on the market. So the projects that are already underway so are the Te Ahu Turanga Manawatu Tarua Highway, of course, replacing the old uh, Manawatu Gorge Road, repairing State Highway 4 between Wanganui and Ratihi, and safety improvements between Ōtaki and Levin. So others that have been on the agenda for some time, such as upgrading the Capital Connection train service between Palmerston North and Wellington and the new regional rail hub. Arguably the freshest part of, of this was the announcement of funding for various projects in and around Palmerston North. The projects include making the streets safer for walkers and cyclists and improving the notoriously safe, something about notoriously unsafe Napier Road Roberts Line intersection. There's also some funding in there just to look at a business case to investigate efficient ways to move traffic around the city. So all of these projects make up sections of the Palmer's North Integrated Transport Initiative, which is a bulky yet important document which details how to move people and products in and around the city as safely and effectively as possible. Having projects in the initiative funded was to be expected as it was ranked as the top priority in Horizon Regional Council's Regional Land Transport Plan in June. And that plan is what Waka Kotahi considers when allocating funding to roading projects. Palmas North City Council Chief Planning Officer David Murphy, Murphy have previously told staff that the initiative was about getting heavy traffic out of the city. State Highway 3 runs directly through the CBD, so to make space for the likes of public transport and cycling. Tuesday's announcement also confirmed funding for a clip-on for the State Highway 3 bridge across the Manawatu River near Ashurst. So really uh, pleasing to see that all of those are moving forwards. If you wanted to go to Waka Kotahi's website, there are update videos quite often on how some of these roads are going. Uh, the the one replacing the Manawatu Gorge is, is well worth having a look at. So plenty happening there. That means workers and many, many workers heading into this area. That has an effect on 
housing, particularly the rental market, and uh, in terms of supply and demand. So we'll just have to see what happens there. Rental prices have been rising considerably, around about 15% in the last 12 months. And house prices close to 30%, which I'll come to soon. But we're just now going a little bit further afield, and we're going to talk about the market, but I just want to preempt it. Uh, with this article by Matthew So of stuff.co.nz, it says developers pay $5.145 million for a century-old house in Lower Hutt. So selling for just over $5 million, the four-bedroom home broke the previous record by more than half a million dollars. It's a single-storey brick home, and it's a four-bedroom 1920s house on Waterloo Road in Hutt Central, but it sits on 2,227 square metres of land. And can't quite tell you, the, do the maths on what that is in terms of acres. However, it's one of the last large sections that, w- that used to be quite common in that area, and it's one of the many properties acquired by developers following a recent district plan change which opened the floodgates for housing intensification. So it had been a family home for nearly 100 years. So this sale eclipsed the previous record of $4.6 million for a residential property set by a house in Bullcott's Military Road last year. According to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, whose records go back to 1992, the regional record is held by a property on Adelaide Road, Newtown, which sold for $8.8 million last year. Quite incredible. So it was bought by Lower Hut-based Palmer and Cook Development. The company's managing director, Mark Cook, says the property, about the size of eight and a half tennis courts, would be subdivided with a mix of high-end standalone homes and townhouses. We've had our eye on it for quite a while, he said, and since we've had this business, so there aren't many properties like it, it's a marquee location. He was unfazed by the record sum and was confident there would be demand for housing in the upmarket area. It'll be really interesting to see uh, plans when those are made. The listing agent Shane Brocklebank from Professionals Redcoats said six offers were made on the property. He was surprised two came from buyers wanting to retain the site for a family home. That's really quite amazing. And that leads on to this other article by Bonnie Flores. It says, Kiwis bullish about house price growth despite headwinds, according to survey. So pricing optimism in the housing market is proving hard to dent. With a net 58% of Kiwis still expecting house prices to increase in the coming year, according to the latest ASB Housing Confidence Survey. This is despite widespread predictions of a rapid slowdown or price drops, economists say. They are now forecasting yearly house price growth to dip to just 2% per year, flatlining when compared to the double-digit growth seen over the last year. Now I'm just going to interject slightly here and say that Manawatu, Wanganui, is generally fairly safeguarded from these uh, drops. I mean, they, they talk about a rapid slowdown or slowdowns. What they're talking about is the slowdown in the amount of growth. <clears throat> price drop, I can't see that for a while, uh, not in the regions. However, ASB Chief Economist Nick Tuffley said he wasn't surprised that Kiwis were doubtful of a slowdown as demand was still outstripping supply. Given the recent government changes and new regulations have so far only slightly impacted the market, it's understandable that Kiwis are sceptical about a slowdown, particularly as annual house price growth has most recently hit 30%. For many watching the runaway housing market, it might be hard to imagine ever seeing a decline Despite this, there are a number of factors which are increasingly likely to put the brakes on. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand's loan-to-value ratio restrictions would be reintroduced. 
Property investors will be taxed and mortgage rates were creeping up, he said. Behind the scenes, inbound migration has ground to a halt and home completions have lifted, which should ease demand slightly, although we now have construction delays due to supply bottlenecks to contend with. According to him, he says, quite amazingly, Kiwis showed no real difference in price expectations for the quarter in question. While price expectations were holding, interest rates were increasingly seen as inevitable, according to the survey. Annette, 54% of respondents said they expected higher interest rates in the next year. And that's a significant turnaround from the net 13% uh, that answered in the first quarter. So interesting to see what will happen there. And then they're talking about the building in that, uh, in that last article, or the difficulties in building. And so this article was interesting by Dilipa Fonseca of Stuff.co.nz, who said how Level 4 lockdown could set our massive home building drive back. So this is an article that's based in Auckland, and so therefore they're referring to it sort of in the current tense. But it says the country going into Level 4 is a setback for our attempts to build new houses quickly. The only good news, in inverted commas, is that we're so far behind it probably won't make much of a difference overall. Infometrics economist Brad Olson says even before the August lockdown, the time taken to build a home had been increasing. Infometrics keeps a regular check on the time between a consent being granted and a house completed. Now builders around the country are confronting the aftermath of dropping their tools and in some cases leaving building sites and frames exposed to the elements. Winton Chief Executive Chris Meehan said his team had to remove the frames from dozens of houses after Level 4 lockdown last year because they'd been exposed to the elements for too long. Even houses with roofs on can still have their framing get wet, requiring builders to sometimes leave a building site idle for several months to let it dry out. The ability to guard against this with just a few hours' notice of lockdown was limited, and builders don't have large house-sized tarpaulins just lying around on sites. Uh, roofing at short notice is impractical too. He says the risk is you have your framing up but no roof on, and then your frames get wet, so they've got to dry up before they seal up again. And if you get a combination of rain, then sun, then rain, then sun, welcome to spring, then they risk buckling. Now, apart from that, the we've talked about the materials in previous programs as well, um, but I'll just go back to the building delays that uh, we had the level three in, in around the country where there was only a certain number of people that could be on site, and after the last lockdown, Stats NZ reported building projects experienced delays of between 20 and 60 working days and a median delay of 33 days. However, it's a bit more complicated this time because I've split the levels. And uh, it's really difficult to... There was shortage of, of things before the lockdown, like timber products, bathroom fittings, exterior cladding and Hardy's products, thanks to the global supply chain disruptions. Now apparently there's also shortages of everything else, pink bats, jib board, colour steel, plumbing fittings, plumbing pipe, and a lot of these things are manufactured in Auckland. The situation was so dire that the government issued a health order to allowing staff at certain building supply manufacturing sites to return to work in Auckland even under Level 4. When builders returned to their work sites around the country at Level 3, they were, first, they were forced to draw down on building supplies because these were getting depleted, leading to shortages around the country. So really tough 
because what happens, of course, if a building project is delayed that affects the builders and subcontractors that can't necessarily then go on to another property, it pushes a lot of timelines out. It means that people who are expecting to move in a certain time frame can't. And it's yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, tricky one indeed. I mean, we're all in this situation, but I spoke to some people just uh, last week who were saying they were so relieved that they got their building underway prior to, to all of this because theirs was on track, but we can expect a number of properties now to be delayed significantly. And uh, here's something that I found quite interesting. In fact, it's quite uh, heartwarming in a way, and this is, talks about heating for a dollar a day. Kainga Aura's first passive-designed social housing block is a blueprint. So Kainga Aura is about to walk the talk for healthy homes and sustainability, and social housing tenants are likely to pay just a dollar a day to heat their homes in the new social housing block planned for completion in 2023. Crown Agency has taken its first step towards certified passive public housing development with a pilot project now under construction in Mungary, Auckland, a development that will deliver a reduced operational carbon footprint and ultra-low power bills. That's a fantastic idea. So it's a three-storey, 18-home Bada Ventura development on the corner of Bada Drive and Ventura Street and has received design endorsement to build a passive house standard, which is the first major milestone to producing a certified passive house. Kainga Auto General Manager Construction and Innovation Patrick Doherty says the development will be a win for both the environment and the home's new occupants. For Kainga Auto customers, it will mean a reduction of around 85% in heating costs and a year-round healthy home. That's just fantastic. This means we expect average heating bill in these homes to be around $360 or a dollar a day, compared with about $2,000 for a standard Kainga Auto home built to six home star standard, and even more for an older home. So the building will comprise six 83-square-metre two-bedroom and 12 119-square-metre three-bedroom homes in a three-level walk-up typology. So they'll be airtight and regulate their own temperature through smart design, the use of high-performing construction materials and a ventilation system with heat recovery that not only maintains a steady temperature but reduces moisture, creating a dry and healthy living environment. Imagine... Imagine being currently under the care of Kainga Order and then going into one of these places, brand new, incredibly cheap, and uh, that's nothing to be uh, sneezed at, really. I mean, that's saving. That can go a long way towards food and, and those sorts of things. So really, really good news. Not only that, but there's 34 units which replace the 12 former state houses which were on that site. So it's got a picture on the stuff article of the, I guess, the how it would look, and it looks really good. Um, and it's something that maybe they should use as a blueprint to other areas, uh, other places around the country. And uh, that's something which uh, will be good to keep an eye on. So right now we're going to have a little break. We've got a bit of music for you. This is something just to get our day going. You're here on npr.nz, and this is Avicii with Wake Me Up. Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Well life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes 
so that's fine by me. So wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was finding myself in You're back here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson, and you're here with NPR Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irarangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. Lovely having your company. You can also find this where all good podcasts are found. Just look for Property Matters and Greg Watson. So we're going to look at the market now, and some of these headlines make some pretty grim reading. For example, this one by Miriam Bell: Housing affordability as bad as it has been in 18 years, according to CoreLogic. 
So the Treasury is predicting a sharp slowdown in house price growth, but the only people that appear to be thriving at the moment are those already on the property ladder. The record house price increases mean housing affordability has deteriorated to a new 18-year record low. And that's according to CoreLogic. The country's average property value rose to 7.9 times the average household income in the second quarter of the year, and that's the highest in the property search company's records. The house price-to-income ratio was also a sharp increase from the 7.4 figure recorded just three months ago and the 6.6 figure a year ago. It was driven by a 15% increase in house prices over the first six months of this year. And over that same time, there was an increase of 1% in the gross average household income, and that's really the issue. So even though the mortgage rates have remained low, affordability has still become worse, and that was from an already stretched position, according to Kelvin Davidson, the chief property economist at CoreLogic. He says the situation might get worse before it gets better as house prices may have further to rise before they flatten out and mortgage rates are now starting to increase. Those high rates will exacerbate the situation in the coming months as they will push up repayments even though they should eventually help affordability by dampening prices. That's uh, that article there and then that follows on to another as I'm leafing through my many pages. And this one by Miriam Bell from stuff.co.nz says three out of five homeowners could not afford their own home now. It talks about uh, Danielle Morrison, who bought her house in South Auckland in early 2020, but if she was in the market now, she would no longer be able to afford it. She paid 599000 for her Conifer Grove home and had a deposit of about 25% made up of her savings and some money from her parents. But similar properties in the same development are now selling for 819000 and up. So I'll just go back there. She bought it in early 2020. We're now mid-2021. It's gone up $220,000. So Morrison, who's a teacher, said she's glad to have been able to purchase her house when she did. As a mother, it was important for me to own my own homes. My child would always have a home, and we wouldn't have to move all the time, as you often have to when renting. I feel very lucky to have bought a home, but it makes me feel sad that other people might never be able to because of the prices now at play. And new research from Consumer NZ actually shows most homeowners would be in the similar situation. So the Consumer Advocacy Group's sentiment tracker found three out of five homeowners would be priced out of the property they owned if they had to purchase it at its current valuation. So while 33% of those asked said they would be able to afford it, 58% said they would not, and there were 9% who did not know. Older homeowners were least likely to be able to afford their own home at 66% of those aged 60 to 69 and 59% of those aged 50 to 59 wouldn't be able to buy their house at the current prices. So it's just showing that uh, it's getting rather difficult indeed. So using median first home prices from CoreLogic, each month stuff tracks how many weeks of savings a median income household needs for a standard deposit and what the mortgage on that first home will cost. So at the moment, they've got 250 weeks of saving. 250 weeks. That's the best part of five years to get a deposit. And uh, and that's really pretty tricky indeed. 42% of people feel that they're locked out of the market. These are new home buyers. Well, another 20% they were saving for a deposit but could not catch up. I mean, when house prices are going up so much, how do you catch up? And that talks about it in this article here by Miriam Bell saying, house prices rise by twice the average salary in one year. 
So they've gone up by double the average salary over the year to August, according to the latest Trade Me Property Price Index. The national asking price rose to an all-time high of 846900 last month, an annual increase of 21% or 143950 That figure is two times, 2.2 times the $65,000 national average salary in the June quarter of this year, according to Trade Me Jobs. Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd said that asking prices had increased strongly in August despite the Level 4 lockdown, and this marked the 12th month of double-digit growth and meant the annual increase was the largest on record. It says that Manawatu Wanganui had the sharpest increase, up 29.5% to 589350 So the asking prices are the prices used on the property listings and might not be the price a property sells for, but still, best part of 600000 as your average asking price in Manawatu Wanganui. So Palms North, it's probably a little more. I just haven't got those stats quite in front of me. They haven't uh, come out yet for this month, but um, yeah, it's certainly pretty scary. Again, probably just on the, the other aspect on the market there, like I say, is that... The general thoughts are that there's going to be a sharp slowdown, but again, that's really based largely on the Auckland market, which might slow down a bit. But um, they're still quoting figures in this article uh, here of even the national, the average national price being up 26.6%, and that's across the board, so it's quite incredible. However, the various powers that be uh, and the economists and so forth are predicting that there won't be a uh, skyrocketing house prices after the post-lockdown. But uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Finally, here's a warning for landlords who are wondering whether they should do a methamphetamine test before a tenant goes into place in a property. This by Matthew Littlewood. It says, Tenants of meth-contaminated South Canterbury property win appeal. Two tenants ordered to pay more than $29,000 in damages and compensation after their South Canterbury rental property was found to contain incredibly high levels of methamphetamine contamination have won an appeal against the tenancy tribunal decision. Anthony James Brooking and Danny Hodges lodged an appeal against the decision released on March 13th, 2021, which they were found responsible for methamphetamine contamination during their tenancy at the Pleasant Point property and ordered them to pay the sum of $29,397 to the landlord. The pair also lodged a claim for damages and refund of rental expenses for being subjected to exposure by way of methamphetamine contamination. So I'm not saying what happened in this situation, However, tenants can move into a property and contaminate it, and if you have a baseline test from when they moved in, you can hold them responsible. However, in the reserved decision released this week, Judge Cameron said the appellants through Miss Hodges' counsel emphasised there was no dispute that premises were not tested for methamphetamine contamination prior to the commencement of the tenancy and that the tribunal had accepted that the methamphetamine contamination could have occurred prior to the tenancy. So the tenants, even if they've contaminated the property themselves, as a defence, can say, well, it must have been like that when we moved in. And then it goes further. The witness, oh, they used a witness in the actual uh, first case, etc., and there was a lot uh, put on that. 
But the judge has said, in my view, the evidence provided was insufficient to establish attendants responsible for the methamphetamine contamination. And says the difficulty with the landlord's claim is that there was no methamphetamine test conducted at the beginning of the tenancy, so no actual proof of what occurred during that tenancy. So the judge came and allowed the appeal and made an order quashing the decision of the tenancy tribunal. So it's incredible. The cross-claim by the appellants was dismissed in its entirety, luckily, as there was insufficient evidence to establish on the balance of probabilities that the premises were contaminated with methamphetamine when let to the appellants because of course those tenants even if they uh, contaminated the house themselves can then seek damages from a landlord if they lie about it and say it was probably contaminated beforehand so landlords consider those methamphetamine tests particularly talk to your insurance companies to find out whether they are required and that's all I've got time for we've got time for in the show today it's been wonderful having your company here on npr.nz I'm Greg Watson this is Property Matters and we look forward to catching up with you in a week's time for more property-related news. Thanks for listening. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.